going to get into a new series this morning called Get Back to Flourishing. That's the title of it. And what does it look like? I mean, I think we've been in this season where, where maybe we haven't felt like we're flourishing, right? Can, does anybody feel that way today? Like, I haven't really been flourishing. You know, I've kind of been getting through this season. I've been, I've been getting by, right? And so we all feel that way. So today we're going to talk about what it looks like to flourishing. And so I'm actually going to be talking today about some of the things that are coming out of what's called positive psychology. And you may be thinking, well, you know, this is a church. Aren't you supposed to talk about the Bible? Yes, we'll talk about the Bible as well. But I'm coming at it from a little bit different angle this morning. So I think every time you hear, you and I hear a message in church, it's really a combination of three things. It's a combination of this idea that there's theology, right? And then there's psychology, right? We're going to talk a little bit about psychology today. And then there's sociology. And so theology is what we learn about God. What Psychology is what we learn about ourselves and about our souls. Psych means soul. Soulology, think of it that way. And then sociology is about our interaction with other people. So that's a lot of ology, right? But I want to kind of set the tone that we all have to look at all these things. If you even look at the great commandment, Jesus said, love God, love others, right? Theology, sociology, right? And then you have to look at yourself, your psychology, right? So all these things go together. Another way, simple way to look at this is, the, is this way. God's care, that God cares for us, loves us deeply. And God wants to care for our souls, right? Our soul care. Do we take care of our own souls? And then how are we caring for other people? So that's theology, psychology, sociology. And every sermon really comes down to those three things, if you think about it in some form or fashion. But we're going to start with some psychology, and then we're going to move to the Bible uh, around that. There's nothing new under the sun, as they say. So here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how if we take care of our own well-being, take care of our souls, that we will lead lives that are flourishing, that we will have flourishing lives. We will get back to flourishing, the abundant life. The Bible talks about this idea of flourishing as the people of God. And this is all through it. But here's the, the psychology definition of flourishing. I want to share it with you. And I want you just to listen to this definition today or this, these ideas today. And just, t- just ask yourself the question, do, is this something I'd like more of in my life? But here it is. The, flourishing is higher levels of well-being seem to lead to a vi- variety of very positive outcomes, including greater self-confidence, self-esteem, optimism, Self-efficacy, that means the ability to complete tasks and achieve goals. Greater sociability, higher likability, stronger inclination to see others in positive ways. Greater likelihood of engaging in pro-social, meaning altruistic or, or care for other behavior. Higher physical and mental energy, more effective with coping with challenge, the challenge of stress and stress. Greater creativity, originality, and flexibility, stronger immunity. Don't we need stronger immunity today, right? And better physical well-being. This comes out of research by the Flourishing Ministry Project out of Notre Dame. Does anybody want any one of those things in your today? I would, how many people like all those things, right? You know, I read that and I go, wow, that would be great, wouldn't it? You know, uh, if we just had a few of those things, right, it would be great. And see, when we, we're talking about flourishing, we're talking about approaching life with energy and positive spirit, and a drive to really seek out purpose in our lives. And we'll talk about that over the next week. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about a different aspect of our well-being that leads us to this idea of flourishing. So there are four things they've discovered, and the four things are happiness, and we'll really talk today about daily happiness, thriving, resilience, 
and authenticity, those four things. Today we're going to talk about happiness, next week we get into thriving and so forth. So today, let's talk about how to be happy. How many people would love to be happy today, right? We all talk about it. In fact, it's written into the the, to the founding documents of our country that we are to pursue in the pursuit of happiness, right? So we get this idea. We're going to talk about what is that pursuit of happiness and why aren't we happy, right? Even more, though we're pursuing it, right? So think about this. So daily happiness is actually made up of something called daily affect. Two things, but the first thing is daily affect. Your daily affect is your emotions, your moods, your feelings that happen on any day. Have, has anybody ever been asked you the question, how was your day? Anybody ever say that? Somebody else, right? I know parents, I see some parents here that are like, yeah, I ask my, they come in the door. If you've got a teenager, they're like, huh, what, yeah, uh-huh, whatever. All right, it was all right, fine, right? That's a teenage response, right? Um, so you come into these things and you say, or you ask your your family member, you know, hey, how was your day? And so we'll say something, either it was a good day or a bad day, reflecting our daily happiness or our daily affect, right? And there are things that contribute to that. And here's the thing about any particular day, I could have good things happen that day or bad things happen that day, some within my control, some not within my control, and that may dictate to me whether I was happy or not on that particular day, whether I had a good day or a bad day. For example, some negative examples. Let's say you, had, you went to work or school or class and you had a difficult interaction with another person, a, a, co- a co-worker or a classmate. Or let's say you were driving somewhere and you hit traffic in the city of Seattle. I mean, that never happens. Happened to me yesterday, right? And what happens to, you know, that when we face traffic? It's out of our control, but it can either put us in a good mood or a bad mood based on the people around it, right? And we can say, I was in a good mood until I hit traffic, right? Um, think about uh, getting a speeding ticket. If you get home at the end of the day after getting a speeding ticket or a red light camera, you saw the, did anybody ever have that moment where you're driving through the red light and then the flash goes off? Anybody have that moment? Yeah, yeah. And then when you get home, somebody says, did you have a good day or a bad day? Well, what's, what are you going to say, <laughs> right? Remember the flash, right? Maybe you don't even want to talk about it, right? Or maybe you had a doctor's appointment and you heard some news or some advice that you didn't want to hear uh, or, or you heard a diagnosis you didn't want to hear. So these are all things that you would get home at the end of your day and you'd say if these things happened, they would, you would say, I had a bad day. And it would affect your mood, it would affect your emotions and your feelings, right? Now there are also some positive things that could happen in your day. You could get, po- you could get complimented by a coworker, a friend, Maybe you got to spend time with a friend. Maybe you go out to lunch and you just laughed and you had a great time laughing. Laughter's a positive thing in our lives. Uh, you might get a promotion or an award for something and you might feel really good about yourself. That'd be a positive. Somebody gives you a, a gift, a small gift, a big gift, or maybe somebody just gives you a hug, you know, and that just made your day, right? So those are all things that could create a good day for you, right? And there are probably some other things that you can think of. Or maybe there was no traffic that day. Hallelujah right? And you said, My, you have a great mood. But do you notice that regardless what the traffic is or what's going on, that sometimes you can still have a good day even though those things aren't happening well, right? You could hit a lot of traffic but still be in a good mood because that's a part of daily affect and those things change over time in, in cycles and moods and emotions. And then we tend to evaluate our daily affect or our happiness on what happened that day. Here's the thing that the research is showing us that's showing You and I as human beings, in general, do you think we tend to focus on the negative or the positive things that happen? 
Negative, right, exactly. We tend to focus more on the negative. That's just part of who we are as human beings. They've noticed that if you have three, they, you and I need three positive things to happen to every one negative for us to say it was a good day. Think about that. Think about how many more positive experiences you and I need in our lives to actually say it was a good day. So often our days are not always filled with more positive than negative, but then we have to think about that. So how do we get to happiness if we're not always getting these three positives to every one negative? What, how, do you, how do you do that? How do you get there, right? How do you experience this, right? Does the Bible have anything to say about this? I'm always amazed at how positive psychology produces great stuff and they come out with great studies and great research and I look at it and I read it and I go, uh, it's already in the Bible, did you not know that? It was already written down 2,000 years ago, we've just forgotten it or we've let go of it or we've gotten away from it. Here it is, Philippians chapter 4, I'm reading out of the message version today because it uses the word happy and uh, the other text translations don't, so we're going to look at the message version today. Philippians chapter 4 says this, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up at any minute. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns before you know it. A sense of God's wholeness, that's flourishing, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Flourishing. You see that? And what, is, what Paul is writing about there is this idea that we ought to just practice gratitude, like every day. And really, it's interesting because, you know, again, psychology has said, hey, if you practice gratitude you're probably going to be happier overall if you practice gratitude. Now, some of us may do that. Is anybody, I don't know if anybody journals and writes down at the end of the day all the good things they saw that day or thankful, things they're thankful for or grateful for. Or maybe you saw some God, you got some God moments that day and you write that down. And so that's a way of practicing gratitude. But practicing gratitude is more than just making a list. Like, you know, it's more, I know we're coming up on Thanksgiving and sometimes I'm at the Thanksgiving day, table and You've been cooking all day, you've been dealing with political discussions, you know, with family members, and you sit down at the table and somebody goes, well, what's everybody thankful for? And you're like, uh, <laughs> right? Can I, anybody else do it? I, it sounds like some other people have that experience, right? And so it's obligatory gratitude, right? And so we feel a little bit like, oh, I got to do this because everybody else is doing it, right? That's obligatory gratitude. That's not gratitude. I mean, you and I can come up with, I'm thankful for my family, Jesus Jesus, always say Jesus, right? But here's the thing. Gratitude is more than just making a list of things you're thankful for. Gratitude is actually doing what Paul said. 
he said, he said, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. That's what he said. And what he's saying is, is that, you know, if we just come to worship, I mean, worship is a, a form of grat- practicing gratitude. When we come and the team leads us in worship, we're practicing gratitude. But what Paul is saying is don't just practice it one hour or ten minutes on Sunday. Practice it every day and fill your day with it. And what does that look like? Well, let me tell you what that looks like. Because we can't always stop in the middle of our day. Oh, that, that's a gratitude thing. I've got to list it down. Here's, what hap- here's, here's the difference. And I'll use a hiking illustration with my wife. My wife, Heather, and I, we go hiking. And I am a different type of hiker than my wife. And I'll explain what kind of hiker I am. So I get to the trailhead, and I'm like looking at the time. I'll actually record the hike, and I'll see how long it takes me to get to the top where the beautiful view is. And I'll stop when I get to the top and take in the view, right? So I have a, I'll set, I'll record the hike, see what the elevation is, the mileage is. And my goal is to get to the end of that hike as quickly as possible. So I'll find a pace, and I'll keep going. And I will get there, and if I have to stop, take a break, and take a breath, I'll do that, but I'll just keep going. And then I'll just keep pushing until I get to the top. And then I'll rest. Now, my Heather, is that the way you hike? No, she's shaking her head no for those of you online. She, Heather has a different approach to hiking, which is this. When there's a beautiful view, she stops and takes it in. When there are beautiful birds singing in the trees or fluttering around, she stops and she takes it in. If there's a marmot hanging out on a rock, she takes it in and tries to protect her food at the same time. But as she hikes, she takes moments throughout the hike to slow down and savor the beauty of that moment. That's what Paul was talking about, right? Take in the beauty, whatever you see around you, savor it, take it in. That's gratitude. And so when we go through life and through our days, it's really more about slowing down to savor the good moments of our day. Be more like Heather, not like Matt, on a hike. Think about your life as a hiker. Think about your day as going on a hike. And think about where would you stop and savor the good moments, the beautiful things that you're seeing, the positive places. Where would you stop in that day and just savor the goodness of God and revel in God. Whether it's a sunny day or a rainy day, whether it's a good day or a bad day, according to us, revel in God every day. That's what it means to practice gratitude. The other thing Paul does here in Philippians 4 is Paul actually redefines happiness, like what we think happiness is. And it's very much in line with what every, all the research is saying. But again, you know, it's a, it was already in the Bible. But here it is again. Here's how Paul redefines happiness in Philippians chapter 4. He says this. I'm glad in God. Far happier than you would ever guess. Happy that you're again showing such strong concern for me. Not that you ever quit praying and thinking about me. You just had no chance to show it. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. 
in the one who makes me who I am. You hear that definition of happiness? It's not about what we have. It's not about our possessions. It's not about our money. It's not about our bank account. It's about really what are we grateful for in any circumstance that we encounter. This actually definition gets at the other component of what it means to be happy. So happiness is a combination of two things, daily happiness, but here's the other one, life satisfaction. Are we satisfied with our lives overall? So if we're satisfied and we're, we're happy and satisfied and experiencing life satisfaction, we will more likely feel like we happy. Here's, we're happy. Here's the thing. The more you and I pursue happiness, the less likely we are to experience it. That's another thing about research here. The more you and I try and create our own happiness and pursue it and control it and grab it, <laughs> the less likely we are to be happy, according to the research. Some, some things that people are doing today that we all do, we do things that impede our happiness because we're trying too hard, if that makes any sense. Another thing, uh, if, has anybody ever tried to catch a butterfly? Anybody ever tried to catch a butterfly? I've tried to do it as a kid, you know, and you're chasing after the butterfly, and the butterfly is really good at maneuvering away from you and getting away from you, and the more you chase it, the more it flutters away. It's very hard to catch a butterfly, but if you sit down and rest and be still, guess what happens? The butterfly comes to you, especially if you're on a hike and you got a little bit of salt on your skin, a little sweat on your skin. The, the butterflies actually like to come and get some of that salt off of you. So if you're real still, the butterfly will come and land and rest right in the palm of your hand, and the butterfly will come to you because you're no longer chasing it. It's the same with happiness. You know, we think of that if we pursue it, and we pursue it through, and the other thing that we, we think is going, the things that make us happy really don't make us happy. There are what's called artificial means of happiness. An example of an artificial mean of means of happiness are trying to be famous or noticed. Think about social media and media, social media influencers and followers and likes and dislikes and comments, right? Think about that. Isn't that, in a sense, a artif means of artificial happiness that we're pursuing some kind of happiness that we think if I get enough followers, enough likes, enough uh, people following what I'm doing or saying, you know, this can be even true of preachers, you know, if we get enough people in the pews, whatever, right, that then we'll be happy. <laughs> but it's elusive because the more we seek that out and chase that, it just keeps getting away from us and we need more and more and more and more. Or think about uh, people who are using any kind of uh, drugs like uh, alcohol, drugs, nicotine, caffeine. All these things are artificial means of happiness. They're short-term means of happiness. They don't create life satisfaction for us. And so as we pursue these things, we're actually not experiencing life satisfaction. And those things, the fact that we're pursuing these artificial things, should be a signal to us that we're not flourishing, right? It ought to be making us slow down and pause and go, oh, I'm turning to artificial means of happiness rather than experiencing the flourishing and abundant life that God has for me. And these things may be the temptations or the things that are getting in the way of God and reveling in God every day and experiencing the beauty of God and the goodness of God every day. And so these things are maybe actually getting in the way of my own life satisfaction and flourishing, right? That's the paradox. So 
part of that is really about slowing down and seeing God and reveling in God every day, worshiping God every day, not just on Sundays. It's about slowing down and savoring those God moments that God gives us every day, and they are there every day, just like Paul said. And in that, we'll experience the abundant life that God has for us. In fact, we're going to talk more about this next week, this idea of thriving and Jesus giving us abundant life in Christ. That's what we'll talk about next week. But that's really it. Part of what needs to happen for us, each of us, is that we need to take ourselves, our souls, out of the center of our lives. Here's the trick, right? And stop depending on ourselves and pursuing our own happiness and set ourselves next to God and allow God to be the center of our lives and put God as the leader, that Jesus as the leader of our lives, and then we come alongside and let God lead us and show us what it means to flourish, to live the life that God has called us to. But there's got to be an exchange of who's in control, right? Somehow we've got to get ourselves out of the control and let God take some more and reveal God's self to us in the midst of our daily lives and life satisfaction. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what brought you here today. I hope it, you came because you wanted to connect with God in some way. And I was thinking about it as we we're singing that song, Glorious Day, you know, God's calling our name out of this grave. Did you hear that? Is God calling you out today? Is God saying to you, hey, I want to, you to have a life that is flourishing and not one that's broken and hurting and unhappy. <laughs> and maybe God's calling you today. And if that's true for you today, I'd be glad to pray with you today. I'll be up here after service to pray, but I want you to think about that as you come to the table today. Uh, we'll, we'll hit reflection questions at the end here. But right now, I just want you to come to this table today because God's calling you to a life of abundance, that God is calling you to a life of flourishing with God because Jesus did something at this table. There's something else Paul slipped in on us. Did, you probably glossed over it when I read it. I glossed over it. But here's the verse again. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Working with them and not against them. What did Jesus do? When he came, he left his life in heaven, flourishing. <laughs> and he came into our broken world and he came beside us, came alongside of us. And he says, I'm for you. I'm not against you. Don't we need that, people like that in our lives to come alongside of us and say, I am with you, I am for you, I am not against you. And this table reminds us that God is not against us. God is for us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.